Pastor Ed Taylor says be careful not to miss out on what Christmas is really all about. But we do live in a world that's upside down, wild and wacky to say the least. And if you choose to miss Jesus in this time of year, as a believer, it's possible for you to live like you have no hope too. I mean, we've faced layer after layer after layer of challenges this year. We've seen people place their hope in politics. And we've seen people place their hope in science. And we've seen people place their hope in governmental leaders, only to find that none of them can help. Friend, I don't want you to miss Christmas this year, and I certainly don't want you to miss Jesus and all his fullness. This is amazing grace. It's an experience many parents can relate to. You go somewhere with the kids, get distracted for a bit, and you soon realize you've lost your kids. Few things are scarier than that, I'm sure you'd agree. Today on this special Christmas Eve edition of Abounding Grace, we'll notice this happened to Mary and Joseph as well. They lose Jesus for a few days. Pastor Ed Taylor doesn't want that to happen to us. So turn with us to Luke chapter two and see how to keep our focus where it needs to be. Luke chapter two, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Don't Miss Jesus in Christmas this year. Don't miss Jesus. And how we need to have our eyes firmly focused on Jesus Christ this time of year. Because we're watching a world that's upside down, trying to maneuver in a very trying and challenging year and yet finding that they still have no hope, trusting in things that will not help them, trusting in people that will not give true hope. I hope you've noticed that. Maybe that's been you, where you're being tested and tried in places and people where you've placed your hope in only to find that there's really no hope at all. You see, hope is not in a circumstance. Hope is a person. And his name is Jesus. And that's the stability that you will find in your life by placing your hope in the Son of God. But we do live in a world that's upside down, wild and wacky to say the least. And if you choose to miss Jesus in this time of year, as a believer, it's possible for you to live like you have no hope too. I mean, we've faced layer after layer after layer of challenges this year. We've seen people place their hope in politics. And we've seen people place their hope in science. And we've seen people place their hope in governmental leaders, only to find that none of them can help. Friend, I don't want you to miss Christmas this year, and I certainly don't want you to miss Jesus and all his fullness. You know, you might be surprised to know that most of the people that were alive at the time of Jesus' birth missed the first Christmas. Like so many today, people living in the first century were caught up in all that was going on around them. And yet Christmas is the turning point of all of history. The birth of Jesus next to his crucifixion and resurrection was one of the most momentous events in all of history, affecting every human 
being alive, passed away, and yet to be born. You know, when you look back historically, as well as biblically, you can see that everything was just ready at the right time, the Bible says. The world was ripe for the birth of the Savior to happen spiritually. I mean, if you've noticed with all that's going on, and perhaps as you've been sidetracked here and there and distracted, besides the other things that have come into your life, besides the other trials, besides how you complicate things by making things worse and not better, besides all of that, I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is ripe. Oh, not for the coming, the first coming of Jesus, but the world in which we live today is ripe for the soon return of Jesus Christ. You live in a generation that is seeing things that no other generation has ever seen before. You're not only seeing them, you're experiencing them. I mean, I think of those that maybe 20, 30 years ago, those Bible students, those seminary professors that would pay close attention to prophecy, they would laugh and mock at things like the strict literal Bible teaching that we believe that in the end times there will be a one world government, that there will be a one world religion, that there will be a one world monetary system. Oh, we also believe that there will be a one world collaboration that will be anti-God and anti-Christ. You know, people that were studying the Bible just a few years ago would laugh at that and mock and, oh, you can't. But you experienced, you and me, both of us, we experienced in a very rapid way how the whole world can turn on a dime. Where once warring, angry leaders, somehow behind the scenes, demonically inspired for sure, collaborate to make decisions that affect the whole world at the same time. You watched it with your own eyes. You experienced it. it. It affected you. In many ways, it's still affecting us as we're learning how to live in a new day, living for the gospel. You see, the world was ripe for the birth of the Savior. Even as today, I believe the world is ripe for the soon return of Jesus Christ. Surrounding the birth of Jesus, you know, the, there, was, there was predominantly one ruler. It was Rome. And Rome had created what historians call the Pax Romana. And that was a worldwide peace. The world was generally at peace and not at war. Except that that came with a price. The oppressive power of the Roman government enforced that peace. And lest you forget the power of the Roman government living in the first century, no one dared rebel against it. Because if you did, or you even wanted to, all you needed to do was pay close attention along the roads leading into the cities that were lined with crucified men who dared to rebel or to break Roman law. And living under this forced peace and living under a general sense of peace, people began to get comfortable. And in their comfort and ease, they were looking to literature and philosophy and art and religion. They were looking to culture and world leadership for their sense of peace and safety. Even Greek philosophers like Plato had people thinking about the great questions of life, of human character, of destiny and decency. People were probing and they were searching. And unfortunately, if they turned to the modern, to the first century version of Judaism, they would be greatly disappointed. Long ago had it lacked that true relationship with God and the vibrant faith of the glory days under David. 
or King Solomon. Instead, they would find a shell of religion laden with rules and regulations that the leader themselves could not keep, much less the people. As we think of the birth of Jesus Christ once again now, we have to understand people are looking for peace. They're wanting a sense of stability in a very unstable world. They're like the first century, looking to philosophy, looking to literature, looking to protests, and somehow communicate the fact that they realize their life is not in their own control. There's something in the air then, and there's something in the air now. A sense that something is about to happen. Even in the first century, the rabbis were reading, writing of it. Poets were writing of the arrival of some supernatural one. They knew it was coming, but they didn't know what was coming. I wonder today, those of you here, those of you connected online or on the radio, maybe even downstairs in the overflow areas, have you ever felt there was a time when you lost God in your life? A time when he was there, maybe you even began to take him for granted, and suddenly you see that you lost sight of him. He's gone, you wonder. I don't hear from heaven. I don't understand when I read the Bible. And now you're lost. It's been wisely said, and I quote, if you, fear far, if you feel far from God, guess who's the one that moved? Because God is always with us and among us, even now. Which leads us to our text tonight. Because it's possible to lose Jesus. We have an example in the Bible that's sort of comical in many ways. Where Mary and Joseph literally lose Jesus. Physically. They're so caught up in the religious activity. They're caught up in the, in the busyness of life. That they literally lose their son for a few days. I don't know if you've ever lost any of your kid, kids for any amount of time. But it is a scary thing. When we first moved here, we lost our kids in that giant Kmart that used to be on Arapaho and I-25. Uh, we were on a reload thing, and they had put us in the apartments there, and we had just moved here. We needed to get some things, and we went into the Kmart, and as I recall, we let the boys go and play and check out the video games, and we went and got what we needed. And, and as, we, they were look, as Marie was looking for the boys, they were moving, and she was moving, and she called me up, and we lost the boys. I lost the boys. I said, what? And I, we didn't even have our cars yet. And I ran from the apartment with my daughter in my hand, and we're running to Kmart to look for the boys. And even when we went on the intercom to tell them, hey, we're looking for you, my oldest boy got afraid, and they didn't want to show themselves when they hear their names. Hey, we found them, by the way. Spanked the heck out of them. Never happened again. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Didn't happen that way. We were very happy. Very happy to find them. It's a, it's a sobering feeling. But you know, it's a sobering feeling when you feel like you've lost God. When today you express, if you had the chance to express yourself, you would say, you know, I just don't feel close to God anymore. I feel like he's abandoned me. I feel like he's not for me anymore. This year's taken its toll. I have physical issues, I got spiritual issues, I got issues with my husband and my wife, I got issues at work, I got this new fear I didn't know I had, I've lost a loved one. I mean, it can, things can add up and add up and add up. Notice in Luke chapter 2, in this true story of the parents of Jesus in verse 41, it says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. 
And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances, so that when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So it was after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. For three days they didn't know where Jesus was. Here they are on this trip to Jerusalem to worship. Every adult male that lived 15 miles of Jerusalem was to attend the Passover feast. And at the age of 12, Jesus would be at the age of accountability for a Jewish boy, the time when a boy was considered a man. So Jesus too would now attend this feast in obedience to the law. And as they're heading home, it comes to them after a day, where is Jesus? Where is he? Now we don't know exactly how this happened, but historians tell us that in these caravans, they would send the mom ahead so they could get a little bit of a head start, then there would be the caravan, and then the men would be behind. And perhaps it was one of those things where Mary thinks Joseph has them, Joseph thinks Mary has them, and before they finally link up, they go, hey, where's Jesus? Well, they head back to Jerusalem, and they look for him, and where do they find him? They find him in the temple, listening and learning from the teachers, astonished at his knowledge. It says down in verse 49, Jesus answers as they find him, Why is it that you sought me? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? But they didn't quite understand. It was a scary time for them. For Mary and Joseph, they were so busy celebrating a religious holiday that they forgot about Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Now, now of course, this year, a lot of the commercialization has been taken away with restrictions and such. But we're busy about a lot of different things. There's a lot on our minds. And it's very easy to miss the reality in the presence of our Savior. Maybe you put your hope in something or someone that has let you down. And God is reminding you of His faithfulness today. Listen, in the same way, if we've lost Jesus, if we've lost sight of Him, if we've let the busyness of life weigh us down and interrupt our relationship with Him, we need to go back, like Mary and Joseph did, we need to go back to where we last saw Him. Let me explain. Would you turn over to Revelation chapter 2? Because this language, if Revelation chapter 2 is to the right, the language of relationship is heavy in Revelation 2, especially as he writes to the church family in Ephesus. Look, if you have left or lost that sense of relationship with Jesus, if you are caught up in yourself or in your anger, in your bitterness, in your worry, in your anxiety... Don't be like the first century and miss Jesus altogether, but rather come back to him. Come back to the place where you last experienced him. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, he who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, Jesus says, all of this progress, all of this positive progress for the gospel, you come to a pause. Nevertheless, I have this against you. 
that you have left your first love. If you've left your first love, here is God's remedy. Number one, remember from where you have fallen. Number two, repent. It is a sin issue when we allow ourselves to be caught up in things. We need to take responsibility. That's what repentance is. We need to learn to take responsibility for our own actions and let the Lord sort out everything else. We need to remember where we have fallen, repent, and then repeat. Do the first works. You see, you don't lose something when you know where it is. The church here in Ephesus didn't lose their first love. They left it. They neglected it. They were busy with an outward appearance of spirituality, but they neglected it. In the same way, with our relationship with Jesus, we too can neglect our love and no longer draw our strength as abiding in Him. If we've left it, we need to go back. And where do Mary and Joseph find Jesus? In the house of God. Where do we find Jesus? In the same place. Oh, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting to you that Jesus lives in a house or in a church. I mean, think about it this year. I mean, I've been ministering now here for 21 years in Colorado, and what a privilege it's been. 21 years, year after year, what have I shared with you? The church is not a building. The church is not a building. I mean, every other message, just over and over again, we, we, people get so caught up with a building, the church is not a building. And for a season, we were in a place where we weren't meeting in the building, but we were still very much the church. No, the church isn't a building. The church is you and me. God dwells in us. However, let me say, it is a beautiful thing God invented for the church to gather together in a building, for a piece of property to be dedicated to the glory and honor and worship and adoration of the God of all gods and the King of all kings. He made this. He developed this. And it could be I certainly have seen this as a pastor. It could be with all of the restrictions and all of the difficulties and all of the things that have been asked of you that you've stayed away from the fellowship and it's affected you deeply. Oh, you know, during the holidays, things, things get very difficult for people, very emotionally charged. You may find yourself today distant from God. And that distance has created loneliness, sadness, bitterness, anger, even high levels of depression. We already know that depression rises around the holidays because it can be a very difficult time for many. But even in this year, every study I read of is that isolation is leading to deeper, higher numbers of depression, even suicidal thoughts and suicide itself. Very challenging times. You find Jesus when you're looking for him, church. When you're pressing in. The Bible says, seek ye first. Jesus said this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. It's not the other way around. I quote this every year. I love it. It's become a tradition. I even have another line to add to it, which I'll do tonight. But let me quote. If our greatest need had been information then God would have sent us an educator. 
And if our greatest need had been technology, then God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, then God would have sent us an economist. And if our greatest need had been pleasure, then God would have sent us an entertainer. And I would add for this year, if our greatest need was for a vaccine or get out from under a virus, then God would have sent us a doctor. But our greatest need is for forgiveness. And so God sent us a savior. And today he invites you to into a relationship with him. That's your greatest need. Oh, it's certain that we live with information, technology, money. We certainly want to get from, out from under this particular virus. But there's another thousand viruses right behind this one. Our hope is in the Lord and him alone. He alone is our strength and our stability. He alone gives def definition for our life. And we need to learn to trust in him. And like we sing around Christmas time, let every heart prepare him room. <laughs> And so you have to prepare room for Jesus. Ask him to come into your life. God is knocking on your heart right now, asking for a response. I know you've heard this before. It's the same message every year. It's the same message woven into most every Bible study. God's great love for you demonstrated through the Son of God, the eternal Son of God coming to earth, born through a virgin, Living for 30 years a sinless life. In the last three years, he loves, he teaches, he cares, he serves. And he's rewarded brutally by being tortured and hung on a Roman cross. Taken down, buried, and given, given up for like forgotten. Only three days later to rise again from the dead. Ascending into heaven. And if you haven't received him yet, receive him now. So that you can leave here knowing that your life is right with God. And if Jesus were to come back tonight, you would be ready to meet him. Because that little baby, even as his parents found, grew up. He was born to die. And in between his birth and his death was a sinless life. He died a sinless, perfect death. And he rose again and is alive today. I don't want you to miss Jesus and all the things that have happened to us this year. For some, it's harder than others. It's emotional. It is practical. It is physical. You're probably more lonely this year. You're probably more sad, more angry, more depressed. But could it be that your hope is misplaced? Could it be that you've left your first love? And could it be that you've never entered in to a repentant, loving relationship with God to begin with? That's God's desire for you because he loves you that much. You've been listening to Pastor Ed Taylor and our Christmas special here on Abounding Grace. It's a message titled, Don't Miss Jesus and Christmas This Year. You can find our studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And they're also accessible through our app as well. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play and look for us on Apple Podcasts. Well, here in the month of December, we picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It would even make a great Christmas gift. It's called The Case for Christmas. So who was in the manger that first Christmas morning? Not everyone agrees on the answer to that. If he was the divine son of God, how do you know for sure? Well, Lee Strobel investigates in The Case for Christmas, and we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please make your request by phone at 
GRACE, or order it online at calvaryco.store. Also remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to your radio station every day. With your help, countless thousands of people are hearing the truth of God's Word all over the nation and world at a time in human history where they really need to hear it, too. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE, or you can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, before we close things out for today, I wanted to hand the mic back over to you so you can extend some Christmas greetings to our listeners. Thank you, Larry. Merry Christmas to everyone from Marie, my kids, the Fellowship family here at Calvary Church. Uh, we're grateful for you. Uh, we love to partner with you. We, we're grateful to be on the radio in your community. So Merry Christmas. May the love of Jesus and all that surrounds his birth, all the wonder and joy that surround his birth be yours, and may you be encouraged, even in some of the more difficult situations of those listening in right now. I pray the Lord would encourage you and strengthen you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Ed. And allow me also to wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas. May God richly bless you as you celebrate Jesus this year. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.